Well, I'm sure that most of you are familiar with that face and that routine that you saw in that short video. It is, of course, Fred Rogers, and he was welcoming thousands and thousands of children. Did so over 30 years, welcoming young folks to be his neighbor and also his friend. It was in 1997 that Fred Rogers was the recipient of an Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award for his wonderful contribution to children's television. And as he stood before all of the actors gathered there on that occasion, and he held that Emmy in his hand, he said this to his audience. So many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. And with that, those gathered there had that process that they went through of reflecting upon those who had invested their lives in them, who had come alongside of them as their friend, and who had contributed to what they were becoming. And as the television camera panned the congregation, the gathering there, there were many who were seated there who had tears streaming down their cheeks. As they realized, perhaps for the first time in a long while, that they weren't there by a, as a solo performer, that there were others who were with them as their friends. Well, I hope that if you go through that exercise to reflect upon what friends have benefited your life, you can come up with a long list. And not only that, but there will be those who will have you come up in their minds as someone who has been and is currently one who has invested in their lives the power of your friendship. For me, it's very easy to come up with someone who comes to my mind as a friend who helped me to become who I am and what I want to be. The, mind, the people that come to my mind are Bob and Jean King. Bob and Jean were members of the church that I served in Keystone Heights, Florida. Very early, they came alongside my family and me, opening their homes to us, sharing meals with us, investing themselves in the lives and activities of our children. We were poor as church mice at the time, I have to tell you. And one of the things that Bob and Jean did for us was to provide for our family to have a summer vacation. Bob was the president of Florida Gas Corporation, and through that he had access to an oceanfront condominium in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. And for about four years, my family used that beach condominium as a major part of our vacation. And my family and I were able to build memories, much because of that gift that Bob and Jean provided for us. Not only that, Bob's brother was employed by a big booster for the University of Kentucky basketball team. So one year when the Wildcats came to the University of Florida to play, he arranged for us not only to have tickets to the game, 
but also for us to be able to go back in the locker room after the game and for my sons to be able to talk to some of the players on the University of Kentucky team. And when in 1988, after nine and a half years of being in Keystone Heights, the bishop and the Lord saw fit for uh, me to be go, come to Heritage United Methodist Church in Clearwater, it was that my wife and my children had to stay behind. She taught advanced English classes, and the principal asked for her to stay through semester break because he didn't want someone else giving the semester test when she had taught all semester. They had to move out of the parsonage as a result, and it was Bob and Jean who opened their homes to them and added them as members of their family. The boys played basketball, and every time there was a basketball game, Bob and Jean would be there cheering them on, and they were always ready for the away games. They had sandwiches packed in the cooler, and the gas, and the gas was in the car, and they would drive to those games where my boys played. And one played in eighth grade, the other played as a sophomore, and so they were sometimes at different schools, and Bob and Jean would drive and take my wife to all of those games as though we were part of the family. And as I said before, I hope that as you recall your life and look back, that you can see friends who have done life with you. And as I said, may you also be in the minds of others that have planted your vision, your mind and their, their, your life and their vision as a significant caring friend. But this morning, I want us to talk about a specific friendship to which all of us in this room has been invited and which is foundation to every other friendship we may have. And of course, I'm calling about that, I'm talking about that friendship with Jesus. This sermon comes out of a, of a devotional I read one time uh, out of, about Moses. It says this of Moses in the 33rd chapter of Exodus. It said that God knew Moses face to face and talked to him as he would talk to a friend. In other words, Moses was listed as a friend of God. Now, it said face to face. It was just an idiom for saying they really knew each other and they cared about each other. And then I was also reading in the 15th chapter of John where Jesus turns to the disciples and he says to them, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And then I studied and saw that in the 11th and 12th chapters of the Gospel of John, we get to see a portrait of the friendship that Jesus had with a family that lived in Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, a brother and two sisters, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And I want us to read from the 11th chapter of John where we get this first glimpse of Jesus' friendship with this family. It goes like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whom Mar brother Lazarus now lay sick, 
was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Did you hear those words? Lord, the one you love is sick. That was given by the messenger to Jesus. And later it says this in the account. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now we may not completely understand Jesus' delay in going to Bethany when he heard of Lazarus' illness. But what we do know is that there is a special connection between this family and the Lord himself. Their home, we know, was a refuge for him where he could kick back, where he could relax. It was one of the few places where he didn't have to be on. I don't know about you, but I really feel sorry for sports figures and heroes and and movie actors because when they go out to dinner, I don't know how they do it. Somebody is always coming up and wanting an autograph, wanting to talk to them, wanting to take their picture. And it was like that for Rabbi Jesus. But as we said, in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he could relax, knowing that he was with friends who authentically cared about him. But on this occasion that we're talking about here in the 11th chapter, it is Jesus who we see as the caring friend. Lazarus' illness has led to his death and how Jesus makes his way to the home of the two sisters. And each of them independently confronts Jesus with a protest, but also a word of hope. Lord, you know, have you ever had your if-onlys? Here are the if-onlys of Martha and Mary. Lord, if only you had been here. They knew he was a healer. If, he, if Lazarus had been alive when Jesus got there, he could have touched him and he would have been healed. Lord, if only you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And to Martha, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. But when Mary says this to him, his response is different. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, it says, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, the account says. Then when Mary took him to the tomb, it says, Jesus wept. I like what J.D. Walt says in describing what's taking place here. He says, Jesus wept, not because Lazarus died, but because of the bitter pain this loss inflicted on Mary and Martha and their friends. Jesus hated death, not so much for the sake of the one who died, but because of the way death devastated those left behind. Jesus knew that through his death and resurrection, he would destroy death with life. Death was not a problem for him. The problem was the depth of human grief over the loss of a loved one. 
That's who Jesus is. He is that loving friend. There's also this passage from Max Lucado's book entitled, When Christ Comes. It says, just look at the gifts he has given you. He has sent you angels to care for you, his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, his church to encourage you, and his word to guide you. Anytime you speak, he listens. Make a request and he responds. He will never let you be tempted too much or stumble too far. Let a tear appear on your cheek and he is there to wipe it. Our friend Jesus, Mary and Martha and Lazarus' friend, but also one who desires to be in an in-depth relationship with you as his friend. But as we know, friendship is meant to be a two-way street, isn't it? And it was that way with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus. Listen as John continues to unravel this friendship story, this time from John 12. It goes like this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume." But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Amy Peterson is a writer who tells of the time when her husband had to be out of the country for an entire month. And so she was left there to care for the kids and to manage her job at home and any other outside activities that were to take place. And here she had this writing deadline to meet. In addition, her kids were on school break and they were bored and the lawnmower was broken and the lawn looked like a jungle. She wondered how she was going to survive, she said. But she describes how her friends showed up to help. One came over to fix the lawnmower and to mow the lawn. A second friend brought lunch to her. Another one pitched in with help with the laundry. Still another invited Amy's kids over to play with her children so that Amy could get her work done. Amy writes that God worked through each one of these friends to provide for her and her family. They each perceived the need of her friend, and they sacrificed to meet it, and they reached out based upon their giftedness and their ability and their passions, didn't they? And the friendship that Jesus received from Martha and Lazarus and Mary was quite like that. The account says that Martha served. That's just what Martha did. That was her giftedness. She expressed her friendship and her love for Jesus out of that arena of giftedness and passion. Martha had the gift of hospitality. 
And like my mother, she was a marvelous cook. She loved to see people eat, including her friend Jesus. And her mantra was, won't you have some more? And then there's the ministry of Lazarus. The account says that it was six days before Passover, meaning that was how many days Jesus had before he would taste death. Who'd already tasted death? It was Lazarus. Do you suppose that as Jesus was with his friend and he knew what was going to come for Jesus, that he asked about that experience and shared his own experience? I believe Lazarus expressed his friendship on this occasion out of the common connection that they both had or would have with death as he had experienced it and as Jesus would. Finally, there's Mary, who sacramentally anoints Jesus' feet with his expensive perfume and then wipes them with her hair. Listen again to what J.D. Walt writes in his devotion about Mary. Mary was not pouring out her perfume. She was pouring out herself. This was neither calculated nor strategic. Mary was singing the song Isaac Watts would write almost two millennia later. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Mary had experienced and had been encountered by the love and the grace and the mastery of this God-man friend. His actions of forgiveness, of healing and restoration had left a transforming fragrance within her soul. The Bible does say we love because he first loved us, doesn't it? Last year, I had the high honor of presiding over the funeral service for a lady who was, along with her husband, a vital leader in the ministry of marriage encounter. And as part of my preparation, I thought about my wife's and my experience at marriage encounter for a weekend. I immediately thought of two definitions that I learned on that weekend. Two definitions of the word intimacy. The first was this. Intimacy is being in a relationship where we are fully known and deeply loved. Being in a relationship where we are fully known and deeply loved. And the second definition that I learned was this. It's complementary to the first one. That intimacy is into me see. And those two definitions express the foundation for a growing relationship with Jesus, don't they? They were Mary's experience. Jesus could see into the heart of Mary, and as they spent time together, as Mary sat at Jesus' feet, she could more and more look into the heart of Jesus. And so on the occasion of that dinner party, Mary performs this very insightful and intimate act of ministry that reaches deeply into the heart and the soul of Jesus. And it left an eternal fragrance. If you smell it, you can still smell it today. That fragrance 
comes to us every time we read this story in the 12th chapter of, of John's gospel. That every time we read of her anointing Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair, the fragrance is renewed in the life of the church. And that's the kind of friendship that Jesus wants with you and with me. I spoke earlier of how it was in the 15th chapter of John's gospel that we find Jesus gathered with the disciples on the last night he will share with them before his death on the cross. He washes their feet, he shares Passover with them, and promises the leadership and the presence of the Holy Spirit to take his place. For three years, Jesus and the disciples have shared life together and at every moment, Jesus had shared and invested his life in them. Well, it may not be perceptible to folks around them. Jesus knows that his relationship with the disciples is now different. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. At the end of that three-year relationship, Jesus calls his disciples friends rather than servants. Why? Because there has been an intimacy and trust created over those three years. And as a result, Jesus entrusts his friends with everything he has been given from the Father, and he trusts them to use that information and power for the increase of the kingdom of God. And Jesus wants to call you friends. He longs for that intimacy and that trust relationship. Earlier in that same chapter, Jesus reinforces with the disciples and with us how they can keep this friendship with him growing and developing. He plants in their minds the vision of a grapevine, and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Then over and over, he repeats a specific word. It is the word remain. Remain in me. Five times Jesus repeats that phrase over a span of four verses. And three times he tells us to remain in my love. Why did Jesus repeat that over and over for us to remain? It's because it's the only way that we can develop and grow in a friendship with Jesus. And his book entitled... Not a friend, Kyle Eidelman tells of a friend of his who was a, uh, an actor with uh, General Hospital, and his name was Rial Andrews. And one day, Rial Andrews sponsored this huge fan day at a Hollywood hotel. And among the things that took place there was that there was this uh, trivia game. And they had all kinds of trivia questions about Rial Andrews. And uh, Kyle Eidelman was there, and he, he was amazed. He said, these fans knew everything there was to know about Rial Andrews. They knew where he was born, which high school he attended, the ages of his children. They even knew his food allergies. And he said, you know, it seems as though these fans really knew Rial Andrews better than I did. But then he thought a little bit more. And he came to the conclusions they knew about him they knew the facts and the trivia, 
but it was Kyle Eidelman who knew what Real Andrews' journey to Jesus Christ had been like. He said they knew all kinds of episodes that he had been in in the soap and the struggles his character had been through in that soap, but they had no idea what his character off-camera was like. In other words, they knew about Rial Andrews, but they did not know Rial. And Eidelman says that's a lot like folks both outside and inside the church. They're fans of Jesus. Some of them are rabid fans. And some are more logical in their fandom. And some are fair weather, but they are fans nonetheless. But he goes on to say the tragedy is that they know about Jesus, but they do not know Jesus. They don't know his heart the way that a friend does. So the question is, where am I on all of this? Am I a fan of Jesus or a friend of Jesus? Or perhaps I'm content to call Jesus Savior. Perhaps you call yourself a worshiper of Jesus or even a servant of Jesus. But your development toward being a friend of Jesus has somehow become arrested. I don't know. This past week, I wrote a card to my great nephew who is getting married on the 7th of this month. He's 22 years of age. And next year, I will have been married 50 years. I was married when I was 10 years old. And so I thought I had the right to share with him some things. And again, my mind went back to that marriage encounter that weekend that my wife and I shared together. As one of the gifts we had for the weekend was a banner that said, love is a decision. Love is a decision. And the banner was a statement that if you want a growing, flourishing, love-filled, intimate marriage, It'll be because you decide for the relationship and you decide for the other person. And we brought that banner home and we hung it in our bedroom closet door. It was a wonderful reminder of that impactful weekend. But there would be those times when things might not be the best between Trish and myself. I would be angry perhaps about something the stress maybe had gotten to one or both of us or we hadn't seen each other much for a long time. And maybe I was just plain that I was grouchy and irritable, I don't know. But in conflict, I would look over at that banner and said, love is a decision. I hated that banner at times. (laughs) Because I knew what the decision was You know, they say those three magical words, I love you. Well, sometimes those three magical words are, I was wrong. You were right. Will you forgive me? Love is a decision. Not only in marriage, but in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I, are called upon on a daily basis to decide for that relationship. Friendship with Jesus is a lifelong process. 
But right now, there's a decision that you and I both can make that will facilitate that friendship and draw us into deeper intimacy and trust with our Savior. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a decision to open the Bible. Maybe it's a decision to pick up a devotional booklet and begin that. Maybe it's a decision to be a part of a prayer group or, or a Bible study. Maybe it's joining a ministry team. But I would remind you that you decide for the relationship in order for your relationship to go and that friendship with Christ to flourish. He loves you very deeply and he wants to be your friend. And it is a choice. Amen.